Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize the mental health conversation and provide tangible resources and guidance for anyone who needs a mental health boost. To provide mental health resources, Maybelline New York will make a monetary donation to a mental health organization in conjunction with each episode. Today, I'm joined by legendary Allie Raceman, gymnast and mental health advocate. Raceman was team captain of the gold medal winning women's gymnastics team in 2012 and 2016. A leader on and off the floor, Raceman uses her platform to help normalize the conversation around mental health, encourage positive body image, and promote the importance of self-care. She's with us today to talk about empowerment and the role community and togetherness play in her mental health journey. Welcome, Allie. We're so excited to have you join us today and so honored to have you on this podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be joining. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So before we dive into the topic at hand for today, can we talk about Milo, please? He's so adorable and as someone who also loves animals, although I am a cat person, I have to say more of a cat person. I love any excuse to talk about people's pets, but what many might not know is that Milo actually went missing a year ago. So for our listeners who don't know, tell us about Milo and why he's so important in your life. Yeah. So Milo is so special to me. He is honestly the best part of my every single day. He's sleeping actually with my brother on the couch right now. I am so grateful for him. I actually rescued him, but I would say he rescued me just because he he brings me so much love and joy and pets are just, they're so special. Animals have such an amazing ability, in my opinion, to just give us so much love and allow us to give so much love. It's just such a a special bond and we have such a special relationship. I just, I love him so much. He's very special to me. I love that. And I can totally relate because I've been living away from my cat for three months now. And I'm literally like calling my parents all the time and FaceTiming and being like, can you put Charlie on the phone? I need to see him. I'm it's so funny because sometimes when I'm away, my parents always watch him when I'm away, and my parents call themselves grandparents <laughs> to Milo. And they love it. And like my family jokingly like argues over who gets to sleep with him at night because <laughs> everyone loves him. So it's a great problem to have. So I'm super fortunate that my parents and my family are willing to help out if I'm if I'm traveling, but I FaceTime my parents all the time. <laughs> I want to talk to my dog and my dad will FaceTime me. And it's so funny because like, he won't even be like, how are you? He's like, let me see my grandson. I'm like, I'm go, but thanks. But You're like, makes- hello. Yeah. You want to know how I'm doing? <laughs> it's very sweet. So what did the experience of Milo going missing and being reunited with him teach you about community? Mm-hmm. You know, that experience was so traumatizing for me and probably the, I would say, definitely one of the worst experiences of my life. And it's so traumatizing for me that I honestly can't really even get into it. It was just a very like fluke thing that happened. We were just like right outside of where I live and I, he had a leash on, he had everything on. And it just was a very like fluke thing that happened. Yeah. You know, I really saw the best in people and I'm really grateful that so many people were so kind and so helpful, but it is something that I have like serious PTSD from. So I'm, kind of like navigating that. Yeah. Right now, because it's, you know, also like the guilt of, you know, replaying it over and over and could I've done anything differently. And of course, you know, stuff just happens. And, you know, even when you try to do everything right, no matter how much you love, you know, your dog, like just sometimes stuff happens. And it's I've had to work on, you know, not replaying it a million times. And also just it's given me more of an appreciation just for community, as you said. And also it's just helped me, I think, just appreciate 
you know, sometimes no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we love something, like stuff happens in life and we can't always control stuff happening. So I've also had to work on like self-forgiveness and being kind to myself. And that has been a really interesting journey and I'm still very much on it, but I would definitely say I'm still really struggling from like the aftermath of that, but really grateful for so many people that have helped. And it's interesting actually, since everything's fine and, and we found him, I've like helped a lot of animals be rescued to their owners. And yeah. I've actually seen a lot of like animals that have gone missing. And I've either like, sometimes they're just like sprinting by me and I can't get them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll like, I'll call and let them know that there's an animal, let them know the location. But then also, yeah. you know, sometimes I've learned like when you sit down on the ground, like there was one time there was a dog that um, we were right near a park and I, someone was driving me and I was like, you got to stop the car. So I just like literally sat in the middle of the street and the dog came right over to me and the owner was on the owner ran out and I had the dog, but I, it just, it's interesting because it's made me feel like out of some horrific experience, like the fact that sort of, I have learned a lot from that experience. And, you know, I know some things that I can do to hopefully try to get the dog or the animal to come to me. So I've had that experience a couple of times and my mom and my sister have as well. So it's kind of, it makes me feel like at least something good has come of it that I can at least help other people. And I know how to like navigate it in a different way I wouldn't have known before. So that's sort of the silver lining out of the horrible experience. Totally. Like, yeah, you've taken this traumatic experience you've had and now it's like given you like a whole new sort of purpose in a sense to like help others who have lost their animals as well. And yeah, I think, you know, giving ourselves like grace and finding compassion for ourselves in those moments is so important because that's life, right? Like sometimes things just change in the blink of an eye and and we can't unfortunately like always have control over everything that's happening around us. And I think it like what I learned too is, you know, I saw so much overwhelming support and I will always be so grateful for that. And I think what else I learned though is I think it's so easy for all of us to judge on the outside and when we don't know the whole story. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people assume like, you know, that if someone goes missing or something happens, that it's somebody else's fault and something happens. Right. I really do believe that, you know, most of us or all of us are really doing the best that we can. We're not perfect. Mm-hmm. As we said, stuff just happens. But I, I think that it kind of also just taught me, like, I never know what someone else is going through or how something else happens or how something else goes down. And it's honestly right. business. So if I hear <laughs> something, just, you know, be mindful of my own thoughts and not being judgmental. But it was also interesting, like, how many other people had shared that, you know, their pet had gone missing and and something had happened. And I didn't realize just how common it is. And I think like, at least for myself, there's so much like shame or you feel like so awful about it, but I really super common. And, you know, like we said, it's sometimes you do everything, you think you're doing everything right. And you just, you know, stuff just happens. So I'm very, I love him so much and so happy he's okay. And just so grateful that there's a lot of really good people out there that are a lot of, there's a lot of animal lovers in the Boston area. So that's, I'm very appreciative of that. Yes. We're so glad this whole story has a very happy ending. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing the story about Milo. I think it's such an important message and common theme between that, you know, community and mental health community is something that, you know, I have found so important in my own mental health journey So professionally, a community or a team is obviously really important in your line of work, but can you talk about the role community plays in your own mental health journey? I think having a community and a support system is, I can't stress enough how important that is, I think, for all of us, because, you know, I believe that we're all, or most of us are battling something. And I think that no matter what we're going through, we shouldn't have to go through it alone. Mm-hmm. And I think when we share our experiences or we hear other people share their experiences, I think it can really have the power to help us feel less alone and to let us know that, you know, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully give us hope that if we are struggling, we won't feel like this forever. Mm-hmm. I think 
that, you know, most of us knows what it feels like to feel really down and to go through a hard time. And I think that knowing that having that validation that someone else can understand you and someone else sees you and hears you and believes you, there's so much power in that. And I think that a lot of us might underestimate, you know, you don't have to be a person in a position of power to validate someone and support someone. I think that validation is probably, in my opinion, the most special when it's with, you know, maybe someone you've known for a long time or someone that you have a deep connection with that is someone that you spend time with because Mm -hmm. it's such an amazing feeling to feel understood and to feel that you can just be your whole self with someone. You don't have to hold back. And I feel like my favorite friendships and relationships are with people where I can just say to them, I'm so anxious right now. I don't know why, but I'm having a lot of anxiety right now. And just Mm -hmm. somebody to say, you know, that's okay. I'm here for you. It just, I feel like I almost instantly feel better. It's just knowing that someone else doesn't think I'm crazy. You know, you're just putting it out (laughs) there and someone else is supporting you. So I, I try to be cognizant of that with my friends and I want to be the friend that people can come to, but I also recognize that, you know, I'm not always going to say the right thing, no matter, you know, we talked about no matter how well-intentioned you are, sometimes Mm-hmm. The support we give to someone else or the support we want isn't the support another friend wants. So I think it's just trying to learn how to be a better listener and a better friend and also giving ourselves a break at the end of the day, too, that we're doing the best that we can. And we it's okay that we don't know how to support every single person in our life. We're still learning. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I think even for me, I've struggled with anxiety since I was 13. And, you know, at like that age, especially like you feel like you're the only one going through it. And I think even as we become adults and we go through different challenges in our lives, we often feel like we're literally the only person that goes through it. And that's why I think talking about it, as you said, like is so important because then you realize, oh my God, someone else like struggles with the same kind of anxiety or the same fears that I have. And suddenly, you know, you don't feel crazy because you're like, okay, here are all these other people who have experienced the same thing. I completely agree. It's interesting because I feel like I've learned I have different friendships for different reasons. And you know, some friendships I go to just to like laugh and have fun with. And then other friendships I get really deep with. And some friends I I can have both with. Yeah. It just really depends. But I think that having also friends who have been through similar experiences to me is also really helpful because it really does help me feel less alone and helps me better understand what's going on with me. And I also, I think that it just sometimes just feels good to talk about it, you know, and just to be like, I know that you might not have all the answers, but this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And, you know, I also think, you know, when I think about community for myself, I of course think about like my family and my friends, but I also, you know, I have therapy later today. I think that it's, it's important to have different people and different tools in our lives that help support our mental health because I really do believe that most of us are going through something and that's okay. I mean, look at what's going on in our country and the world right now. There's so much happening and there's been so much happening for forever. And so I think a lot that everyone is dealing with, everyone's dealing with different things. People have experienced different types of trauma and, you know, maybe some people, unfortunately with the statistics are probably going through really traumatic things like right now. They might be dealing with the aftermath of that or going through that. And so I think that just knowing that there are good people out there to help you. And I think sometimes when people share their story with someone, they might not always get the support they want because not Mm -hmm. everybody is supportive of mental health. Not everyone understands it. So I think it's important as hard as it is to remember if you do confide in someone with what you're going through and that person doesn't support you and doesn't validate you. It's so hard to remember this in the moment, but don't make what they say to you true because, yeah. you know, they're, they could be, you know, dealing with their own stuff and they're not ready to come to terms that maybe they were in like a verbally abusive or abusive environment where mental health wasn't allowed to be talked about. So maybe they're feeling a lot of shame. We may never know, but just know that it's not, that's a reflection of them And it's actually heartbreaking that they're not able to see what you're going through because it means they're probably not that supportive and 
kind to themselves or getting the support that they deserve too. But I think that, you know, when we confide in someone and it doesn't go as well as we wanted it to, as hard as it is, I would encourage you to keep going until you find somebody out there who will support you because there really are good people out there. There's good communities out there that will support you and help you. It just might take some time to find that. And I know it's so frustrating to find that. But once you do, I really hope it's worth it. But just I think sometimes we have to acknowledge it's not always easy to find that community or that support group. And if it takes you a couple times to share your story, it's that's very hard and it's very taxing on you. But I think that I just don't want people to give up if somebody doesn't validate them and just say, I'm never going to share it again, because I've met a lot of people that that happens to. And I totally understand why someone want to do that. But I also want to stress the importance of having that support system and just like having somebody who can be there for you is, is so important. Absolutely. And it's like the saying, people can only meet you where they're at. So yeah, if someone either like can't relate or just maybe doesn't have like the emotional capacity or bandwidth to, you know, hear your story or to take on what you're telling them, like, yeah, it's, it's going to feel difficult, but it's like, yeah, if you continue to look, you will find, you will find someone. I believe that. So now since 2017, you've obviously been very open about your story and you have been a champion of empowerment and recovery. And you've said like, it never really gets easier, but you are a big advocate of therapy. Of course, as you said, you have therapy later today. For me, therapy is so, so vital. I don't know where I would be without it. You know, my therapist plays a huge part in my mental health community, you know, as we've been speaking about. What would you say to someone who might be on the fence, though, about going to therapy? Because obviously it's there is still a stigma about it. Yeah, there's a stigma. There's also a lot of barriers in our society for many different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. be able to afford therapy, they might not be able to they might be working so much. They might not have time for therapy. They might be, you know, a single mom. They might be, there's so many, there's like a million different reasons. I think people are so busy. They're going through so many different things. There's so many people who are struggling with different illnesses. You know, maybe somebody is so depressed that it's overwhelming for them to even go on the internet and search for a therapist. You know, to be honest, my, my brother's girlfriend, is getting her PhD in psychology. And she actually helped me find the therapist that I have now. So I can Mm -hmm. understand sometimes when you're struggling so much, it's just so overwhelming to do like simple tasks. And so she helped me. And so I can't stress enough the importance of having someone in your life or having people in your life where you can just say like, I'm, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to find a therapist that would be right for me. Can you help me? But if there is somebody out there that does have access to therapy, I think that I would sort of similar to sometimes when you confide in someone, it might not be the right fit for you or they might not Mm -hmm. get validation you want. Like I honestly feel like I'm on like my 14th therapist. Like I've been (laughs) for years and it's so funny. I always like joke with my friends. I'm like, therapy is like dating. You go on like a lot of first dates or some people go on a lot of first dates (laughs) and yeah find someone, you know, someone might have, you know, married the first person they, they date, which is beautiful. And that's awesome. But I think for me, therapy has also been sort of like dating, like you, you have to figure out the right fit and what works for you. And so I started seeing this therapist a couple of months ago, and it's been really helpful. We've been really working on a lot of different things that I've experienced, you know, from a young age, and it's been very helpful. So I would say kind of similar to if you see a couple of therapists and it's, you're realizing it's not a right fit, just know that there are so many therapists out there. There are so many different types of therapy. If you're not ready for talk therapy, you know, maybe starting off writing in a journal, maybe, you know, going to a yoga class. There are so many different things you can do if you're not ready for talk therapy. There is like so many different types of things. So I would encourage you to just experiment, try different things. And, you know, even if you start off with just a few minutes every single day of doing something for your mental health, and then I believe slowly over time, you're going to realize it's really helping you and you're actually going to want to do more. Because I realized when I'm not taking time for myself, I actually feel so much worse. So now it's to the point where I get doing it because I know I'm not going to feel well. So I would 
encourage you to keep trying until you find something that works for you and know that just because a few of your friends are doing talk therapy and they love it, if you don't feel that that's right for you, nobody knows you like you know yourself. So listen to your body, listen to your mind, do what feels right for you. If you feel that you're not ready to talk about it, that's okay. You know, sometimes my friends say I'm not ready to talk about, it's like a specific traumatic experience. And I say, that's totally fine. But also know you can go to therapy and talk about, you know, something that's stressing you out at work or something that's stressing you out with your family. Like there are some things in therapy that I talk about that to somebody else, it might not seem like a big deal, but just like that week, it's really top of mind. And it's really Mm -hmm. just know that therapy is you get to choose what you get to talk about and you are in control, which is also really nice. And I think that it can be very valuable and very helpful. It's, it's certainly helped me, but also know that I've, I've also been through a lot of different therapists and some of them I worked with for a few years. And then after a few years, I realized this was great for this chapter of my life, but I've decided I want to try something else. That's how I am. I kind of switch therapists like every four to five years. And I like to do that also as sort of like a challenge for myself. Like I try different types of therapy and also sometimes just like the act of like starting over and, you know, sometimes like, yeah, you've gone through something and you're like, actually, like I'm kind of done with that chapter. And now I want to focus on something else and you don't want to keep like pulling in or like ruminating over the same stuff that you did with one therapist. So I really do like that approach. And I also think it's important for people to know that also like you don't have to be struggling to go to therapy you know, like that doesn't need to be the impetus for you to get a therapist. Like you can just start to work with one and talk about what is going on in your life. Like, as we've said, we all have things like going on in our life. It doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, you have to have had like a traumatic childhood to start therapy. Maybe, yeah, you're like struggling at work or, you know, you're thinking about changing your life and moving to a different country or, you know, there's like so many different scenarios where someone could benefit from therapy. I'm always like, listen, if you can obviously like afford therapy and all of that, like being able to just like talk to someone about anything that's on your mind for an hour is a beautiful gift. (laughs) I think that is, you, in my opinion, two really good points about switching every four to five years. I love that. I think that's awesome. And then I also love and totally agree with what you said about you don't need to be struggling to do therapy. I think it's so awesome just to have somebody to like talk to and have somebody else's opinion who can be honest with you and challenge you. I also have found sometimes in the past with therapy, I've actually struggled with feeling like in the session, like I'm just talking to them and they're just listening. Mm -hmm. And so now with this new therapist that I'm with, it's like every single week I have a certain like level of homework where I'm actually like doing it's um, CBT based training and it's Mm -hmm. been helpful. And, you know, I think it's just going at my own pace where I feel like it's been very helpful. And I think that, you know, when you're doing 45 minutes a week or however long your session is, you know, I think about like, what am I doing the other, you know, 23 hours of that day or the other like 24 hours of the rest of the days. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really helpful to like, keep working on it when I'm not in therapy. And so I've actually, you know, when I first did my session with this new therapist, I was like, in the past, I felt like I would just talk to my therapist. And then sometimes they would actually give me their opinion. And then I would actually like listen to it. And then later on, I'm like, I wish I didn't do that. Like this therapist, I think that what I like about this therapist is she's actually helping me realize like, what do I want? Like what feels right for me? What decisions am am I making a decision? Because I think this person would want me to make this decision or does this feel right for me? Mm -hmm. So like peeling back the layers and figuring out what works for me. But also I find that when therapists give tools and almost like homework, it is very helpful. So I also would encourage, you know, if, if you feel like you, want to talk to a therapist for the entire appointment, that's great. But if you also feel like you want to do some tools, I would also recommend asking because, you know, I'm sure that they have some, I'm sure they have many. And they also like, they don't know, they can't read our minds. We have to communicate what we want. And I think that's totally and to remember too. Yeah. Because they're there to serve you. So I think, you know, sometimes people do get kind of shy and you feel like, okay, well, the therapist is like in the driver's seat and they're controlling it, but it's like, no, they're there to help you. And so you need to communicate like 
yeah, what are your goals? Like, what are you hoping to get out of each session, et cetera? So I think that's really important. And obviously you were also just touching upon, you know, tools and what you like to do outside of therapy. So yeah, let's talk about that. What else do you like to do to support your healing journey? I like writing in a journal. I like, yes, I do. I think that's very helpful. My therapist actually recommended to me that when I'm feeling stressed to take like 20 minutes and just like write down like everything I'm worried about and then like go back and look at it. And it's sometimes I'm just like, it's eye-opening the stuff that I'm worried about. And then when I see it on paper and she like asks me to kind of like challenge that belief and say like, do I know this to be true? You know, if I'm like, okay, well, I'm person was like upset that I said this, or I'm nervous this person thinks this about me. I'm like, how do I know that? Is this true? Or is this not? She always says, what evidence do you have that this is true? And I'm like, nothing. (laughs) So it's very (laughs) eye-opening how much I am like creating my own anxiety and creating just this loop that's really doesn't serve me and doesn't help me. So I'd say journaling, gardening is very helpful, going for walks. I think like it's sort of a balance that I'm learning is sometimes it's really helpful to like listen to a podcast and sort of that feeling of like validation of sort of maybe hearing somebody else share their experience or their story is very helpful. And then other times I also feel like I just need to like laugh and be with a friend and not think about it. So my personality is I'm very much an overthinker. And I am, I think what made me successful in gymnastics is being a perfectionist and being like obsessive about certain things. Mm -hmm. And that really, to some degree served me in my gymnastics career. But I think that it's sort of this bad habit that now in my, you know, personal life, I am a perfectionist about a lot of things that I don't need to be. And so I'm working on like how to let that go. I'd also say, you know, like stretching helps calm me down. I also, you know, like enjoy going in like a sauna or steam just to kind of like sweat. It just feels like sort of a release. It feels really nice. Totally. Like different essential oils. I feel like activating my senses really helps me feel more present. So I usually always have essential oils with me. I have peppermint oil. I put it on my forehead. Mm-hmm. I'll sometimes put it on my stomach or my chest if I'm feeling anxious. Totally. I also love green tea and I've actually found like the bitterness of the green tea helps me feel more present. So I'm anyone can relate to your anxiety that's listening, like anything I can do to help me feel more present, I do that. So even sometimes like I'll drink really strong green tea and it's like, I'm like thinking about how strong it is instead of my thoughts. <laughs> and then of course, Milo is, is so helpful. I sometimes read, take a bath. Reading is very therapeutic too. So I'm still sort of experimenting, but I right. also say- What I'm struggling with now is when I'm home, I'm very good about having a routine, taking time for myself. But when I'm traveling, which I do travel a lot, when I'm in a hotel room, I like forget to still do those same tools because it feels so like out of like, I don't know how to. Yeah. You're just like out of your routine. I feel like most of us struggle with that as well. And I think also like tenfold coming out of the pandemic and lockdown where you probably were really working on like, you know, because what else do you have to do? So yeah, you create these routines. And then when the world went back to normal, quote unquote, then you're kind of like, wait, how do I continue to incorporate this into my everyday? Because it, it didn't feel so good, but then it sometimes it feels like these things that we do to make ourselves feel good are like the first things that go out the window when, you know, like real life is happening. Yeah. I I feel like I spend so much time. It's like, for me, I have to really work on feeling more relaxed, like feeling relaxed for me. I think from just years and years of being at such a high level competing doesn't feel like it's not like a natural state to me. So (laughs) I, I believe actually in like, if I, I do believe if I like, you know, shut everything off, my phone off and like was just with like my loved ones and completely disconnected, I do believe I'd be relaxed. Right. It's hard to do that. So I think I've realized I really have to work on like calming myself and grounding myself. And so that is something that I have to like constantly remind myself of doing. And I think sometimes even though I know certain things will help me, it is it is still hard even when I'm home to have a routine because I still feel like my schedule is different. 
every single day and, and life happens and things happen and things happen that are unexpected. Totally. I think just trying to find every single day realizing like, what do I need today? And knowing it might not be the same thing Mm -hmm. has been very important to me. I think I've come a long way, but I'm still far off from where I think I want to be, but I'm trying not to focus on like the destination of what I want it to look like and just sort of day by day. Right. I mean, I can totally relate to everything you're saying as an anxiety sufferer as well. And it's, and it's funny to hear like sometimes like how hard we can be on ourselves, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I think every day you wake up, you kind of just have to like tune into your body and see what you really need. Like maybe some days you don't need this full, like repertoire of like self-soothing behaviors and routines. Like maybe you just need to meditate in the morning and like, you're good to go. So, you know, I try to be like flexible with myself and just think like, you know, each morning when I wake up, like, what do I actually need today to like support myself and feel good? Yeah. And I think sometimes it can be even simple things like having a certain smell that makes you feel calm. Maybe it's a candle, maybe it's Like I use essential oils, maybe it's a perfume for somebody, maybe it is, there's so many, there's like, maybe it's like a certain like teddy bear someone had when they were little or a blanket. I think that there are certain things that we can have and we can bring with us certain places Mm -hmm. when we see it, when we touch it, when we smell it, it just reminds us of something calming or it could be with music. I mean, it's, it's different for each person, but I do believe in the power of our senses. And, you know, I think for each of us, it could be a different sense that might be activated that helps us feel more calm or more present or maybe brings us joy. But I like experimenting with that too. Yeah. And so obviously you mentioned earlier about like, you know, trying to feel more relaxed. And I know in the past you've spoken about fatigue as it relates to, you know, your healing journey and process after all this time and understandably like you needing a break from all of that. So what is your advice to someone who's also experiencing, you know, similar feelings who are going through some kind of healing experience? Yeah. So I guess I'm assuming probably a majority of people that are listening probably don't have context to that question. So I'll explain a little bit more. So basically I probably around 2013, but I'd say like since 2014, 2015, I would say my body has just never felt the same. And I think that for a gymnast, there is so much pressure to be a certain weight, to be really thin. And I think that I was like fighting against being like a woman, but trying also to be really thin. And so it, it is at the time, I definitely didn't understand how unhealthy that was for my body. And I think aftermath of also having to be so thin for so long and working out so much and pushing herself. Like for those of you who don't know, like I would work out some days, seven hours and I would, I would still be pressured to watch what I ate. And like, when you work out for seven hours, you're starving, you're so hungry. And so there was pressure to keep my weight down. And we didn't have like good sports dietitian or nutritionalist. And to be honest, I actually worked with the Patriot sports dietitian and he was incredible and, and so helpful. And I don't know what I would have done without him, but you know, there was a couple of people from the Patriots side that were super helpful. I'm, I trained in Boston area. I've grown up here my entire life, but without them, like, I don't think I would have made it. And I'm so grateful for that because we didn't like USA gymnastics didn't provide us like good access to treatment or help or like anything like mental health related or, Mm -hmm diet, nutrition, or like even doctors, like it was just, and I think that surprises a lot of people. But so we kind of, each of us had to like take it upon ourselves to try to find it. And thank I had access to good people who were willing to really go above and beyond and help me. And so I'm like, so, so grateful for that. But I, I don't know what I would have done without that, because I think that when you're training so many hours, your body's going through so much. And also like when you're so stress too, that does so much on your body. And so I think after stressing and having a lot of PTSD and anxiety and trying to like navigate all the abuse that myself and so many of my friends had experienced for so long. And I think personally for me, I was 
really stressed about, like I was really scared that the media would leak it before I was ready to come forward. And I hadn't even begun to think about like, do I want to say something publicly? Am I ready? I didn't even really know what to do, but I was really consumed with worry that it was going to get leaked before I was ready for it to get, like I wanted to come out. Of course. Terms. Of course. And then I think that when I, you know, when the Me Too movement became this really viral movement, it was sort of, it completely changed my life in so many different ways. And I never expected to receive the support that myself and so many of my teammates received. And I will never be able to share how grateful I am because I completely recognize, you know, most survivors that I've met don't feel validated or supported and they don't platform that I have. And so for that, I think that, you know, the way a survivor heals is linked to how their abuse is handled. So the fact that I got so much support, it definitely did help me in my healing journey, but I'm still, you know, I still struggle with PTSD. I'm still very much in therapy as we've talked about. And so I think that for years I would go to doctors and I would see so many different specialists and doctors. And I was just so tired. Like some days, like genuinely like going for a 10 minute walk was too much for me or like going up the stairs. It was just so exhausting for me. And I felt like I had like nothing in me. And like the way I would try to describe it to like a doctor or my friends is like, I love the show Vampire Diaries. I am like obsessed with it. And if you have watched it, when you see like a vampire that like has been deprived of blood and they're just like not moving and they're not there, but then they get blood and they're fine. Like I would try to describe, like, I literally felt like I was like lifeless. Like I didn't have anything in me. I felt like I, and I couldn't really like get it together. Like it wasn't like you know, in certain situations, I would be like, okay, I'm fine. It would be like, I would be at lunch with a friend. And I remember I would like have to leave early because I was just so exhausted. And I think over time I've realized, and there's such a stigma around this where I was like, maybe I was just so depressed and I didn't realize it. Cause I'd go to a doctor and they'd be like, well, you're probably just depressed. And then I'd feel like a lot of shame. And I'd almost feel like, I don't know what the right word is, but I would feel like frustrated that they would just say that to me. And it felt like very like not sensitive and like I wanted like dismissive. They're like, oh, you just have you're just depressed. Like (laughs) that definitely was the case. But I also think that there was probably I think that when you when your body is like in such fight or flight and you're so anxious all the time, it's like I my body just was didn't feel like it ever had a break. Like I didn't allow it to relax. I wasn't sleeping well. I was just there was just, I was always on high alert. And I, I can't think even imagine. one of the beautiful things about like sharing my story is that so many people validated my experience and so many people are so supportive. But what I, I think I didn't really realize, and I'm still sort of like navigating how to not be triggered, is a lot of people, like if I'm walking Milo or I'm out to dinner, like they come up and share their story of being a survivor too. And I used to get, I still do sometimes, I would get super triggered by that. And I think yeah. when I was dealing with my own PTSD, which like, I still am, but I'm in a better place. Mm-hmm. When I was experiencing PTSD and it was like really bad where I was really paranoid, when I had like five survivors come up and tell me their experience, like it was hard for me to not walk through the world being like, well, something else bad is going to happen to me or like feeling like I was still in that traumatic state. And so I yeah. work on in therapy, like being kind and supporting and validating the person who's coming up to me, but also being realizing like, it's okay for me to be honest with them that like, I really support you. I'm just really triggered. So if you don't mind not going in graphic detail, and I had such a fear and I've realized like, I've never had a survivor who doesn't understand if anything, they're just like, Oh, I feel the same way. I like forgot that you were dealing with it too. Like they, they see me on TV and I think people forget I'm like still dealing with it, but I think I'm afraid for so long to be honest and say like, I really support you just And like, I would love to chat with you, but just please don't go into graphic detail because like, I will not be able to sleep and I will have like nightmares about it. And I was so afraid that they weren't going to like, like me and I'm such a people pleaser. Mm. And I realized like, I've never had somebody who doesn't understand when you're honest with people and you're just like, you say, Hey, I'm actually really struggling right now. And like today I'm feeling super triggered. So I'd love to chat with you, but like, do you mind not going into detail? People are like, Oh, I'm actually struggling today too. Or like, it makes it, we realize like everyone else is human. So I, I had a therapist once tell me when like a lot of times people say things like, I don't owe them anything. I'm not going to explain 
myself. And that's totally fine if that's what you want to do. But I've also realized when you actually over-explain, you leave less room sometimes for other people to judge you. So if I had said to a survivor that came up to me, like, I can't hear you go into graphic detail like that, they might interpret that as me being like really dismissive. And it might, I might be the first person they've ever told. So I might, which also stresses me out. And I put a lot of pressure on myself is I don't want them now to be afraid to tell someone else. So if I'm really like kind about it and explain like, Hey, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear like what you're doing. And I want to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And I, I always say like, I believe you and I support you. And like, I want to validate them. But then if I'm like, really explain, like, here's where I am. They're always like, that makes so much sense. And I used to be there or I'm there right now. And so I try to over explain so that people, it leaves less room for them to like interpret it a certain way. That's not how I meant for it to be. But, you know, as I think I mentioned earlier, like I'm an overthinker, I'm a warrior, I'm, so I think all of that I've learned is just exhausting. And over the last few years, I realized like how taxing anxiety and depression can be and taking time for ourselves is so important and so crucial. And so I've really really worked on like prioritizing my own mental health because I'm just not someone who can like go, 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 especially when, you know, when I do interviews, when I speak, I'm not talking about like all the fun times in my gymnastics career. They want to hear about the heavy stuff and that Mm -hmm. I'm not able to like talk about that yet without me feeling it. Yeah. So, and who knows, I don't know if I ever will be able to, but I think that it's always, hard to, to talk about, but I think over time it just maybe becomes less triggering. So I I think that I'm just learning to navigate that and learning to speak up for myself more and communicate. And I think it, what really helped me honestly is when I got my dog Milo, whenever I would go places, I would always make sure I had like food, water for him. I made sure like I would be like, okay, he hasn't like, he hasn't pooped today. He hasn't <laughs> gone to the bathroom in a while. I need to make sure he's okay. Or like, I yeah. always back, I'm like, okay, I check his ears. Does he have an ear infection? I always like make sure he's okay. And I'm like, I don't do the same thing for myself. Like when I, I go. <laughs> go somewhere, I'm like, I, why didn't I bring myself water? And so I'm now more cognizant of like, okay, if I'm bringing him somewhere and I have like a little, you know, stuff for him, like you see so many, I, when I travel, I see so many like parents or guardians, they have like this whole entire thing for like their babies and their kids. And like everyone does so much to take care of someone else. And I think we forget to take care of ourselves. And, you know, like they say on an airplane, you have to put your mask on before assisting others. But that's exactly totally. And obviously, you know, talking about your career, I mean, how did you deal with anxiety before like really stressful moments, competitions, et cetera? So it's interesting because when I was competing and training, mental health was not talked about as much as it is now. And I think it's important to acknowledge, even though it's talked about a lot more and a lot of athletes are speaking up, it's still so stigmatized. And there are still people that are suffering in silence and don't feel they have a support system to talk to someone about it. I think when I was training, it was sort of like we almost got a pat on the back if we like didn't get an ice bag after practice to like ice our ankle or knee or something. And it was like this pressure of not wanting to say that we were upset about something or anxious about something. It would, there was such a stigma around it and it wasn't understood in my opinion, at least. And I didn't understand it where there was a lot of, for me, shame around talking about it. And I felt like I was kind of taught if you have a lot of anxiety, you're not prepared enough. So you're not working hard enough. And so I really tried to work as hard as I could to have no regrets. And I think when I look back, I wish I had more tools and more help. So I wasn't so hard on myself because I think that being that hard on myself and being that much of a perfectionist, you know, maybe to some extent it helped me be good at gymnastics, but it definitely, I think I could have been better had I had had more support. Not, I think I, I know I could have been better had I had more support and more tools and just like more ways to navigate mental health. Cause it's so hard and there is so much pressure when you're competing being like 700th in the world is amazing too, you know, but I think mm-hmm. all of these athletes are so much more than athletes. And I think a lot of athletes are getting well-deserved recognition for speaking out about things that are important to them, which is amazing. 
But I felt like when I was competing, there was so much pressure. And if we didn't win, it was like, you know. The world was ending. Yeah. And when I was competing, it really felt like my whole entire worth revolved around whether I did well or not, which is very unhealthy. Yeah. And I feel that now that I'm out of the sport, I feel so much more than a gymnast. And I feel like I'm doing other things that and really figuring out who I am outside of the sport. But I think it took me a long time to realize that, you know, if I don't do well at a competition, I'm still me. Like my family loves me the same way. Milo doesn't even care nothing <laughs> about gymnastics. And, you know, I think I've met a lot of people after, you know, my gymnastics career who like me for me. And yeah, I think it just, it definitely, it takes time. And I actually forgot your question. So you're talking about the pressure of competing. Yeah. Just like, how did you deal with the anxiety? Yeah. I feel like I didn't. I just kind of, I sort (laughs) of, when I was competing, I just sort of like blocked everything out, which is like, again, like, I feel like I sort of did that to some extent, like when... I became sort of numb to a lot of things when I was dealing with a lot of my abuse stuff. And what I realized from that too is like you can't pick and choose being numb to like some things and not others. So it's like Mm -hmm. and I became numb to like letting myself have fun and just like feeling things. And so I'm really working on like feeling everything, but that's very hard. And I think similar to when I was competing, it's like I just wanted to like shut everything out and not think about things. But that was like sort of what I had to do, I think – to be in that environment, but I'm now kind of trying to like undo that a little bit, which is definitely take some time. But I used to just try to block everything out, but the fear of like not doing well was like consuming for me. And it, we definitely felt when we didn't do well, it was like not accepted and it was not okay. So I think I'm learning now in my post-gymnastics career, like if I if something happens and I don't do something perfectly right, like it's okay, I'm human, but just learning how to like retrain myself, I think has been very difficult. I mean, I can only imagine what it's been like to move through the world with that much pressure riding on you. But after this conversation, it sounds like, you know, you have the things in place and you're, you know, you're working on it and all we can do is like take it a day at a time, right? Yeah, I I definitely, you know, I look back from a few years ago and I feel like I am in such a better place. And I think sometimes it is hard for me to realize how much I was actually struggling before until I feel so much better. So that's been very eye-opening to me. And I've also realized that like being really hard on myself, it doesn't serve me and being kinder to myself, like it helps me feel more energy. So I'm trying to be more cognizant of that. And I think it's also helped me be a better friend. At least I hope my friends think that where I'm trying, you know, if I'm being nicer to myself, I'm able to like see you and give them the benefit of the doubt more too. And just recognize like nobody is perfect. We all have good days. We all have bad days. We all feel stressed. There's so many different things that we're going through. So I definitely feel I'm prioritizing more my social life and having more fun, which has been awesome. And I am very grateful for that. And, you know, being in Boston in the summer, it's just nice to be able to be outside and to have fresh air. So I am. You deserve it. You deserve to have fun. Everyone deserves it. (laughs) Something else about you that doesn't get a lot of spotlight is that you're an avid gardener, Mm -hmm. right? I started gardening. I'm trying to think maybe four or five summers ago, and I saw my mom do it and it brought her so much joy. And I think at the time we were both very stressed out. There was a lot going on. And I watched her sort of pick up this hobby that really like gave her a sense of calm and allowed her to be present. And so I just watched her and I wanted to try it. And I've really been in love with it. I think it's just so relaxing and I think it's very healing. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my dad has actually like grown tomatoes in, in our backyard for like 30 years. And it's like something I always look forward to every summer. So I love that, but give us, give us some tips for those of us who don't exactly have a green thumb. I think that anybody can garden. I think a lot of people think that they don't have like any expertise or a green thumb, but I think that anyone can garden. And I think It's really about trial and error and learning. You know, I think every single summer I 
pick up something new or I learn something or I realize that, you know, sometimes like two plants don't grow well next to each other. And sometimes you learn because one of them dies. But I think right. is you're always learning and you're always getting better. And I feel like there's no right or wrong way to do it. And that's the fun of it is, is learning like what works and what doesn't. And so I'm still figuring that out and, and still navigating that. So, but I think that patience is something I've learned that's been very helpful is when you plant a seed, it doesn't grow the next day. Um, Mm -hmm. this like instant gratification of, you know, overnight shipping and we're used to getting things kind of right when we want them, or we can like deliver meals to us. Like we can do so much stuff and we can text somebody and have like an instant response. We can email someone, we can call someone and we expect sort of an instant, that instant gratification of, and so I think the thing about gardening is that you really have to be patient and and wait. And sometimes it takes months for something to grow and you're really watching that transformation. So it's a nice lesson for me to kind of take my time and be patient, which is definitely easier said than done. But I love that. And then I also think just, I find the whole experience relaxing, like even sitting there and like picking out weeds is very relaxing to me. I think even just like trimming some of the plants and some of the leaves is very calming. But I also love sharing the food with people that come over. Um, you know, once I start getting cucumbers, it's just like an abundance of cucumbers. So it's fun giving that to people. It's fun, you know, juicing them or making salads. I think the experience of when people come over and making dinner and being able to incorporate stuff from my garden, I feel like a lot of people like it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they also pretend they like it more because they know it makes me so excited, but it makes me very happy. So I love that part of it. And if you could put together like a gardener starter pack, like what's like three things like people need to start a garden? I think that starting with, well, I think that like some of the, there's certain vegetables. I think they're harder to grow, but I think that if someone start off right with that, I love that. And I think that that's so awesome. But if someone wants to start off with something maybe a little more simpler, I think mint or basil or different herbs, I think lettuce is easier to maintain So I think starting off with herbs and lettuce, and I also think the little baby tomatoes where they're like trying to, I'm blanking on what they're called. They're like the little baby tomatoes and you can kind of eat them like candy. Those are also cool to start with. Allie, thank you so much for being here today. You are such an inspiration and I truly, truly wish you nothing but the best in your continued healing journey. Thank you so much. I wish the same for you and thank you so much for having me. Thank you to the amazing Allie Raceman for coming on the show today and speaking her truth and showing us how to dig down and find the courage to be fierce. We're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. Make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York.